What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Tuesday, April 30th. My goodness, the month is almost over. The off-season is almost over, sort of. The first part of the off-season has ended. The second part is when the football starts in July, when we have we have off-season workouts and training camp and all that. Uh, but for now, we finally get to hit pause on the NFL season and take some vacation. I don't know who's going to be doing this podcast next week. But it ain't me going to Disney. You're on vacation? I'm going to Disney World. What? You yep. didn't win the Super Bowl. Get out of here. <laughs> That's right. That's John Breach. Not joining John Breach and I for the first time in several days, Ryan Wilson. Joining us instead, an upgrade as a human, an upgrade as an NFL analyst, an upgrade as a Game of Thrones talker, Sean Wagner McGuff. What's up? What's up? You're surprised. You're, already, you're, you're surprised. You're already. Sorry. I'm what? You're surprised by my commendation of you as a better person than Ryan. Yeah, I was did not know what to say. I only said what's up after you asked me what's up. Um, but you're already going on vacation one week into the off season. You're already you're already out. I got. You're, you're going to wait. I got Disney pressed OTAs on me. OTAs haven't even started. I got Disney pressed on me, man. It wasn't it wasn't going to wait. It had to happen soon. I need to get my wife. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how my wife. I don't want to call her crazy on this podcast, but I think she needs <laughs> think she needs a break. She's a little little intense when I got back from the draft. I get it. Your husband's down there falling off bird scooters, interviewing bachelorette parties, viral videos. Got a lot of compliments on that, John. Did you know who didn't compliment me on it? My wife. By the way, this is the CBS Sports NFL Daily NFL Podcast, the Pick Six Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. Did I even mention that? I don't know. Um we are going to do our favorite and least favorite picks. And then, after the break, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. If you don't want to hear Game of Thrones talk for because you don't like Game of Thrones or you don't like want to hear spoilers, don't keep listening after the break. We're going to dive right in. Big spoiler episode. So if you haven't watched it, after the break, I'll remind you again, but after the break, make sure you stop. Um, first, Sean, would you like to hear, can we tell stories about Ryan Wilson while he's not yeah. here? Definitely. It's much well, better than having him here and presenting his side of the Yeah, story. stories are fair. Stories are the best. They're fair game. Do you think Saturday night is fair game, Sean? I mean, John. John, Ryan. I mean, it was Ryan Wilson in the rarest of rare forms. Yeah. So, really quickly, I'll break this down. We um, get done with the draft coverage around uh, 5 or 6.30 Central Time. We go out to – we go – we wrap up all our stuff, write our stories, go, go back to the hotel, everybody changes. We go get dinner. Ryan puts on a pick six pies, green pick six podcast t-shirt. You can tell he's, Ryan is, Sean, Ryan is feeling himself after this draft. You, we did a whole, we did a whole podcast. You could see he's glowing. He knows he <laughs> killed the draft. He's smiling. He's a little but confident, kind of moving around. Yeah, go ahead. This was also Ryan, uh, going out for the first time after 14, working 14 hour days. Three straight days, just nonstop, which he crushed. And, it, okay, and, like, but no, but he's been, and he's been working like crazy, doing HQ hits, doing podcast stuff, and breaking down these draft guys. He, he, I mean, he killed it during 20, the 2020 mock draft. But I mean, he killed it during the draft show. Like we would go, they would draft some small school guy would be taking, he'd be like, he's got the best feet of all the corners in this class. You're like, what? You're just making stuff up. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so I commend Ryan for his work as, as our draft analyst. A great first year. He deserves all the steam blowing in the world. And boy, did he blow some steam. So. We go to this bar, Losers, and we're hanging out there. 
literally called losers. There's one next door called winners. And uh, one of our producers. Hey, Dave Gettleman. Yeah, Dave Gettleman. Yeah, losers. One of our producers. Kidding, one of our producers, I'm not going to name, I guess, has a girl with him. And that girl is telling us how she's like, I'm a singer songwriter. I'm like, I have 10,000 followers on Instagram. We're like, cool story. Let, let me just say, as someone who lives in Nashville, everyone there is a singer songwriter. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's like being in LA and your server at the restaurant is yeah, an actor. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, and we later heard her sing karaoke and I'll let that be up to the people. I don't know if she's getting the labels anytime soon or record deal anytime soon. Uh, at any rate. She's like, you guys can hang with us. You have to take shots. And we're like, ah, we did shots last night. I don't know about that. She's like, no, you are, you have to do shots. And we're like, okay, well, we, she's like, but I'm picking. We're like, all right, whatever. Just pick something and give us a shot. She's like, you're doing a pipe bomb. Have you ever heard of a pipe bomb shot, Sean? No, but this already sounds miserable. I've been on this earth 37 years. I drank a lot, taking a lot of shots. Had you ever heard of one, John? I was a bartender for four years, and I've never heard of a pipe bomb. So I, never, I had no clue what was happening. No clue what's happening either. So they go over to the bar, and they come back. And it's, it's disgusting, right? Can I guess what's in it? If you want. It's, you, it's you gross, won't, right? You, no, it's not. Well, I mean, no, you won't guess what it is. Okay. Well, then, then go on. I was going to say it involved fireball or something. No, no. Way. It's, it's way worse, but it, it's not disgusting per se and you just won't guess what it is they come back over they're holding red bull cans on their side and they look like it looks like you looks like you're holding a pipe bomb right because it's a, a link through a horizontal red bull can like what the hell is going on here and they have keyed taking you know taking a knife or whatever and cut a hole like you would for shotgunning a beer in the red bull can poured out some of the red bull about an ounce or so filled it with house well vodka and then you have to shotgun the red bull can with the shot of vodka in there so we do this i'm not kidding it took five minutes and the entire group of people who did that turned into like schizo like psychopaths like we're like 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 running around um ryan punched john he pulled the old what's the capital of thailand joke and and and, <laughs> and and punched John in the uh in the unspeakable. I, I told my wife that. I told my wife that, and she's like, "When we think about having kids, if there are any issues, Ryan's paying for all our adoption papers. So Wilson, you're on the hook if uh if if we have to adopt because of you." I like. I thought Wilson was going to sing karaoke. Uh, one person who shall remain also nameless forced us into going down to Broadway at like one thirty in the morning. Um, and it just, I mean, just generally like this pipe bomb, like Ryan was planning on going to bed at midnight and it, oh, oh, oh I know. And so we go down to Broadway. I don't know if John heard this part yet. We go down to Broadway and, uh, me and two other guys are walking. We had to, we walk back after this honky tonk closes down at like two thirty in the morning, we walk like 30 minutes back to the hotel. And, and, and let me cut in real quick because we get to Broadway probably, it's probably about one forty-five once we get there. No, two, we'll say two and it is 2 a.m. And it is still packed to the brim. It is like the draft never ended. There are like 20,000 people down there. I don't know if anyone in Nashville went to bed that night. So this isn't like we were like getting in the bars fast. It is. It was just jam-packed. There were still 20,000 people down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the crazy part, too, is that, like, literally, we were the only six people in the city going into Broadway at that time. And it was like, um, 
it's almost like, you know, like a scene in like Independence Day or something where everyone's escaping the city because the aliens are going to blow it up. And there's like four idiot heroes <laughs> going, like driving into the city to try and save the world. That was us. We're, and we're like, like on like these pipe bombs, like stomping in, like, and, and everyone, there were like girls throwing up on the side, and like people passed out and stumbling out of there. It was a, it was a scene. So anyway, we get done and we, we walk back to the hotel. Um, and all of a sudden, like we're walking down, we're like a block, we're like a hundred yards from the hotel, and we hear, "I'm gonna get ya!" And we like, we're like, ah! and we freaking turn out, and it's Ryan Wilson flying past us at three a.m. He just sprints past us and goes into the hotel. <laughs> and uh, wait, wait, Brinson left out a key part that me and Wilson got separated from Brinson and his right. group. Yeah. So Brinson had no idea where Wilson was. We're, so we, I assumed he went back Broadway. and like, yeah, I assumed he already. We left it, yeah. at separate times. Brinson probably thought Wilson was already at the hotel, so he came out of nowhere probably thought he was about to be mugged and it was just crazy wilson uh breach you of course remember talking to me on the phone as you were riding right. in an uber back home i have no doubt i'm sure you do well at my uber i was good <laughs> you, know, you know uh what's the show they had on hbo taxi cab confessions <laughs> yeah, yeah. i get in my uber i told her or you know like what i was doing in nashville i worked for cbs and it was uh ebony was the name of my driver 40th birthday this week happy birthday ebony if you <laughs> Because she's a football fan. So she might listen to this podcast. I told her we do a podcast. I told her for CBS Sports. Anyway, so she just goes on and gives me a whole breakdown of the Titans draft or the Saints draft. <laughs> That's awesome. And she thinks the Titans and the Saints are going to be in the Super Bowl this in 2019. I was just like, oh, my gosh, i got to get this out. Every Super Bowl prediction is in. So, I mean, it was, it was just a crazy, crazy Nashville weekend. I can see that. I can see that, uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl matchup happening. Um, okay. So anyway, that, that's what happened, Sean. That's right. Real, real quick. Was that pipe bomb your guys' that wasn't your only drink, right? No, we were drinking the whole okay. time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I that just was, want to make sure you, that's not how you guys reacted after one vodka Red Bull. No, 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 no. That was just a, um, but it was really more the Red Bull than the vodka. Like, I don't even think the vodka was a huge deal. It was the Red Bull that just like, like shotgunning a can of Red Bull, it's just like yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and and I will say though, it, when you said pipe bomb, I was like, this is gonna be disgusting with like fireball and all this all this stuff. Not disgusting. It actually that doesn't sound bad. Like I'm the kind of person who, if I'm like tired, like at a bar, I will order a vodka, vodka Red, Red Bull. Bull. Sure, me too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I have you ever chugged it, an entire can of Red no, Bull? No, no. no. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's why that's I understand the, the reaction, yeah. but at least it's not gonna taste terrible. Yeah. You know, have you ever seen those commercials where Red Bull has wings like? That guy chugged the can of Red Bull. That's what happens. Literally, you think you have wings. Okay. So anyway, that that's what happened. Um, look, I I don't I don't mind that people criticize the tangents. Oh my god, much content, little of it about football. That's the top latest review. So great. It was a draft tangent. It was a yeah, draft tangent. It's not like you stopped to talk about. It's the off season, people. There's gonna be some. It's a daily podcast. Somebody's like the morning after the actual draft. Are you kidding me? Somebody's blasting me the morning after the actual draft. Nothing. Like just wait. Just read my Twitter feed, man. I'm reading these iTunes reviews. You got to Like I, you think we're not producing a podcast the day after the draft? We had some <laughs> God. We had some technical issues. Go check out Will Brinson on Twitter. I will always post if, if the podcast is not coming up. It's and daily. if you leave a review, Brinson will read it. Yeah, leave a review. Juba view. At least. Respect gave me a four star review. Like got so mad he would have gave me a four star review. Um anyway, there's gonna be some tangents. It's the off season. The plan after I get back from vacation, well rested, revived, we're starting having some some outside guests on more frequently as, as as we can to try and get some cool people to talk about different teams and topics around the NFL. Uh for now though, we're gonna spin through and take a look at our favorite pick from the first three rounds of the draft. Um, was there, is there, is there any, 
I'll confess, I haven't been exactly locked into the news today. Uh, on, on Monday, excuse me. I know Tyreek Hill reportedly could be placed on the commissioner's exempt list. Um, and there were some quotes from the various GMs. Is it worth diving into that stuff, or should we just dive into these top picks? I would say real quick, Tyreek Hill, keep it short and sweet, what percentage do you think he plays a single game in 2019? A single game? Uh, uh, any games. I will say 10% any games. I'll say there's a 1% chance he plays all the games. What about with the Chiefs? Is that 10% with the Chiefs? Yeah. I, if, the, if the Chiefs have to cut him, he won't sign elsewhere this season. Sean? Uh, I might go even lower. Um, I think it's like 5%. I think it's just it's just waiting to happen at this point. It's just when is it going to happen? It, it is remarkable that the Chiefs – because like if, if this is um, – Curtis Conway or like, uh, or, you know, like some, I mean, like he's cut. And if this is Kareem Hunt, he's cut clearly. Tyreek Hill means a lot to that offense. It's interesting. It's unfortunate. Dave Gettleman said, (laughs) what did Dave Gettleman say? Uh, on his critics in three years, we'll find out how crazy I am. Maybe. I mean, he also, he also said that someone praised his pick at, like his bagel place in the morning. So that's like proof that it was a good pick. Yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, he sees you every morning. He's you, you, you buying his bagels. He's not going to be like, your pick sucks, Dave. Um, I mean, it's just, he, he's just, he hates the media now, I guess. Um, Josh Rosen was ready to beat out Kyler Murray. That's kind of why they had to trade him too. Can't let Josh Rosen beat out uh, 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 Kyler Murray. Dolphins GM Chris Greer said that the Josh Rosen trade doesn't mean that the uh, Miami can't draft a quarterback next year. Of course it doesn't. You give up 62 overall, you basically took a quarterback in the second round. You can totally take a quarterback in the top five next year or top ten or wherever you are. Trade up to one and get a quarterback. Um, Dwayne Haskins, I can't believe you didn't get the story, John, successfully predicted the Redskins would draft a quarterback in 2000. Uh, back in 2015, he predicted they would draft one in 2020 when RG3 didn't work out. Well, he made the prediction in high school. So he was working for his high school newspaper yeah. and said, hey, uh, this isn't working out. I can see the Redskins drafting another quarterback in the first round within five years. So it wasn't even like he predicted 2020. It could have been 2019 because that's within five years of when he wrote it, which was 2015. And so it's like, is this the first time a guy is 90% of the way predicted his own draft pick? Like, yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Um, and how about the fact that he – did it in 2015, and he was the number 15 overall pick. Uh, these quotes from uh, Steve Kime or something else. Um, Steve Kime said that he's, he's basically pointed out, um, you know, uh, I'm a I'm a visualization guy. I've always been a visual guy. I've always had success evaluating quarterbacks when I trusted my instincts and my gut. I miss on the guys that looked the part, smelled the part. You try to invent, and because all the things were connecting the dots, you scouted and said, "Okay, they're going to be a player because they look like this." I'm not saying that's Josh Rosen. I'm saying I had my I had my real success. Guys I've loved that have been great NFL players based on instinct. When I closed my eyes and visualized Kyler Murray running around State Farm Stadium in red and white, for whatever reason, all I saw was just fireworks, excitement, a musty environment where fans have to go and show up and see this thing. Him being the architect was a phenomenal fit for me. And then he went on to say, I either visualize them or I just have bigger balls than my brains, Kime said. I'm not scared to make a mistake. That could cost me my career, but at the same time, to be great, to have success, you got to be willing to take chances, ones that you believe in. Got to see it to believe it. I think my one of my bigger takeaways from all of these 
Steve Kime, Josh Rosen stories that are coming out on Monday is that the confirmation that they did not start taking trade calls until a few minutes before the draft. And, you know, the story about Josh Rosen talking about how he was ready to compete with Kyler Murray, that's coming from his agent. And in that story, which was written by Klemko for the Monday morning quarterback, the agent was kind of mad that he was like, what are we doing here? Because Steve Kime on Thursday asked the agent, what do the Patriots think about Rosen? Would they want him to be Brady's heir? And he was just like, why are you asking me this Friday during the first round? Like we had weeks and months to deal with this. And the fact that you guys waited this long and somehow think you're going to get a first round pick for him. Um, it seems, it's, so it seems like the Cardinals process and all this was just off. If they knew they were going to take Kyler Murray, which, you know, from most reports, they knew since the combine, they um, why they waited until after they picked uh, Murray and lost all their leverage just makes no sense. Yeah, I, my only guess is that if they tried to shop him beforehand, the only two teams that might be interested were the Giants and Redskins, and they maybe they knew that, I, I don't know, the Giants and Redskins were pretty locked into who they were taking, so maybe they would have turned it down. I, the whole thing is very bizarre. Um, all right, let's get to our favorite and lead, or just favorite, favorite picks of the first three rounds. Sean, I will start with you because this is your first draft analysis on this podcast since the draft happened, uh, as you were not in Nashville and probably, uh, enjoyably so. What was your favorite pick of the 2019 NFL draft, the first round. Probably Josh Allen to the Jags at number seven, because um, this was a guy who throughout the entire mock draft season was at some points a top three pick, top two pick. Um, you know, at some points people were saying he could be better than Bosa um, for the best edge rusher. And because you had two really surprising picks there um, at four and six with Clellan Farrell going to the Raiders and Daniel Jones going to the Giants, Suddenly, Josh Allen falls to the Jaguars at seven. And I don't know if the Jaguars necessarily need another pass rusher, but the fact that they're getting a top three player, top four player in the draft at seven, I just thought was tremendous value and something that we could not have predicted ahead of time because it never really seemed like the Giants would actually take Daniel Jones at six. It seemed like more like a joke. Um, and look, the <laughs> Raiders, not a joke. And the Raiders picked the Raiders picked an edge rusher and they just didn't pick Josh Allen. So, yeah. um, I think it's just great value for them. And look, Josh Allen could, end up, uh, Cleveland Farrell could end up being better than Josh Allen. We don't know how that's going to pan out. They're, they're in the same range in terms of player. And so it would be, uh, it would be, it would be absurd to try and claim that we know that Josh Allen will be better. But based on what you read before, the draft and how people evaluate these guys, the Jaguars may have gotten incredible value there at number seven. Don't you agree, Breach? Yeah. I mean, Josh Allen fell into their lap and, and we talked a little bit about over the weekend that when you're Jacksonville, they save so much money when you look about how they've revamped now because they let Malik Jackson go in free agency. They traded away Dante Fowler. So it's like, this was the perfect pick. They wanted, there's no doubt they wanted a guy like this and to have him, I mean, their mouth had to be watering, or maybe not, but they're probably in so much suspense when the Giants were on the clock with, are they going to take a quarterback or are they going to take our guy? Because I think everyone watching the draft at home, everyone following the Giants was kind of wondering what was going to happen. Are they going to take a pass rusher or are they going to take Daniel Jones? And boom, they come out and announce it. And, and Tom Coughlin, because that was his former team, was probably just laughing it up. You know, Coughlin's not a guy who laughs, but I can only <laughs> imagine the celebration he had in uh, the Giants or the Jags' war room. 
after his old team came out and announced Daniel Jones and left Josh Allen on the clock or the board. And when the Giants were on the clock or when they were about to become on the clock or right after the Buccaneers took Devin White at five, I feel like everyone on Twitter and all the analysis was, oh, my God, the Giants just got Josh Allen. Like, how lucky are they that this this guy who fills a need after they lost out on Anthony Barnes free agency just fell to them? Like, how lucky are they? And then they go and take Daniel Jones. And there was, yeah, so. I think. Well, I was gonna, just real quick, yeah. and everybody who didn't think they were going to take Josh Allen thought they were going to take Ed Oliver. So it was like it was going to be one of those two guys, and then all of a sudden it was Daniel Jones. Uh, I had some friends who had invested heavily – actually, I was invested heavily in it too – in the under on Ed Oliver's draft position at seven and a half. <laughs> Come on. Are you kidding me? Because the Jaguars probably take Ed Oliver at seven if the Giants take Josh Allen. And the Daniel Jones thing's bumped uh, – Bumped uh, Ed Oliver down to nine. So that was uh, less than pleasing from my perspective. Well, maybe Gettleman bet the over on that. He's going to use the winnings to buy some more bagels. <laughs> and then buy some more bagels at this imaginary bagel shop where people like Daniel Jones and the Giants <laughs> at six. Um, did, did I just, you didn't. Uh, no, I'll go real okay, quick. Like, my, winner, winners, right? <laughs> my winner, speaking of quarterbacks in the NFC East, uh, was, was the Redskins with Dwayne Haskins. Um, this is your, I, fa- I this we, is your favorite pick. It is. Oh yeah, this is not my favorite. Pick. We've already done, we did That's winners right. and losers for five straight. This is not winners and losers. This is my favorite pick. This is my favorite pick because going into this draft, the guy who Dave Gettleman is now, the guy that we, the owner, we thought we were all going to be laughing at at the end of this draft was Daniel Snyder. We thought he was just going to blow everything up, give the Redskins draft away, mortgage his entire future to move up into the top five and grab Dwayne Haskins. And then he didn't do it. Like, I don't know what – I've never seen – I didn't know Daniel Snyder had the ability to have any self-control, but apparently he does because they didn't trade up. And Dwayne Haskins fell into their lap, kind of like Josh Allen fell into Jacksonville's lap. And, and, you know, that was the easiest pick I'm sure the Redskins have ever made in their life. When you need a franchise quarterback, the guy's on the board. Uh, I, I mean, if you're Dwayne Haskins, if you're the Redskins, this is just – I love everything that happened there. I was going to let you dive in, Sean. Oh, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think, again, this also just highlights the fact that if the Giants were taking a quarterback at six, I feel like most people would probably say that quarterback should have been Dwayne Haskins. And so the Redskins didn't just get lucky that Haskins fell to 15. They got lucky that a lot of quarterback needy teams, for whatever reason, did not like Haskins. And it wasn't just the Giants. It was also the Bengals could have taken him. And I know Breach didn't want that to happen, but you know, it could have happened. And it could have, uh, I, was, I was sweating that one out when the Bengals were on the clock. I wasn't sure what they were going to do. I thought they actually might do it because I didn't think Haskins was going to fall outside the top 10. Uh, and then you have Denver trading back and took them out of the running for Haskins at 10. And then the Dolphins at 13 very well could have taken them. So it just, it's one of those rare examples where, you know, if a team wants a quarterback so often you see them get impatient and get worried and you could, you could understand why the Redskins would have gotten impatient and worried and traded up because they would have looked at all those teams and thought one of them are going to take them and said they were patient and somehow it worked out for them. And they got lucky, but also that kind of approach tends to win out in the end because you're not, you know, throwing away draft picks unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, by the way, that was the start of the run. I had three straight, uh, three straight picks in my mock draft, specific players, Matched to specific teams at specific positions that I got right. There's like the only three picks I got right in my mock draft, but I got them all. And three. Sean, Sean, let me ask you this: over under uh, 15 on how many times Brinson mentioned that he got three straight picks in his mock draft 
over the weekend to me and Ryan. Way over. Over. Way over. Way okay. over. <laughs> I should have gotten higher. Um, yeah. By the way, I appeared on Bill Barnwell's podcast. I don't know if you guys know about that. Um, the um, On uh, Monday – and Barnwell was asking me about the skins thing, and I, I and my, as a, on the sort of on the fly, I came up with the perfect analogy for it. I think is um, it's, it's like if I if I call AK right now, or if I texted my wife right now, I was like, "Hey, um, I'm going to Vegas this weekend. Uh, leaving on Thursday morning. Uh, probably gonna go out there with like four or five dudes. Most of you hate. Um, we are gonna spend a ton of money, and I'm gonna gamble a bunch and lose all of that money." And you're gonna have to eat macaroni and cheese for the next three weeks because I lose so much money betting on sports and blackjack in Vegas. Should be back up by Sunday, late Sunday night, maybe midnight or so. And then, and then like, once she gets home freaking out, I'm like, oh no, I'm just gonna go over to cars on Friday night and watch the, watch the game if that's cool. She's like, oh my god, go have fun. Go have a blast. Enjoy your Friday night. Don't even worry about us. It'll be, it'll be a great old time because the ex, it's just the Redskins. Like Dan, the expectation was that Daniel Snyder was going to burn everything to the ground for the foreseeable future. They traded 2020 second round pick, which is going to be like a top 50 pick, bare minimum. And Redskins fans are like, we gave up nothing. I mean, this is great. Um, yeah, I, Fritz, I thought you were going to take that one step further. And then the day of the Vegas trip comes and you tell your wife, nope, we're spending four days in Hawaii. Oh, that's, like, yeah, that's, that's how much it blew everyone's <laughs> mind. Like instead of, she, so Surprise! She, yeah, yeah. she went from hating you and divorce papers in her hand to, oh my God, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Well, I, I didn't think the problem is I didn't think like if I suggested I was going to Vegas, I didn't think it would actually like get that far down the, like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't even get to the like to the weekend before she was like you're not going to las vegas uh my favorite first round pick this is an easy one please it's a layup garrett bradbury <laughs> i'm on bram as always on brand suck it you uh itunes reviewers who think i talk about nc state i actually think this is a uh this is a great fit he went um 18th overall to the minnesota vikings he ran 90, 90 plus percent of the, of his snaps last year, whereas in a zone blocking scheme, Gary Kubiak is their offensive guru over there. He's not the, the OC, but he's working with the Vikings. The, Dalvin Cook, um, Garrett Bradbury, Kirk Cousins in that offense with those receivers, slide Pat Elfline out to the outside. I think the offensive line will be a lot better than they were previously. And I can see the Vikings offense really clicking. I think Bradbury is a great fit in Minnesota. If you guys, uh, we can move to round two unless you guys want to add something. Just that the draft kind of fell perfectly for the Vikings because sure. offensive linemen just did not go. Like you had Jonah Williams to the Bengals, and yeah, that was the only off. Or no, Chris Lindstrom to the Falcons. But yeah, I think in a lot of mocks, at least when I was doing them, I had a lot more offensive linemen at times going ahead well, the, of them. And the, the, the over <laughs> over under for defensive players in the top ten was six and a half, and it was it was juiced to the under. And the only offensive players that were going to go early were offensive linemen. So the expectation right. was like three plus offensive linemen in the top 10 or 15 picks. Right. So I, in all, a lot of my mocks, I had the Vikings taking an offensive lineman, but I had them kind of having to reach for an offensive lineman just because there weren't any better ones available, but it was such a pressing need for, so for them to be able to get the top ranked player at that position, um, and sitting there not having to trade up. I think, I think was tremendous value for them. Yeah. And talk about the Vikings draft real quick. The one thing I will say is that. It almost feels like Mike Zimmer, you know, feels like he's kind of unsure with Kirk Cousins, still not a hundred percent sold. And it's almost like the Vikings just said, we're building this entire offense. And if Kirk's not good this year, it's all on him because there's no more excuses. You know, like they took Garrett Bradbury, they took a tight end, they took a running back, they took, I think another offensive lineman. Yeah. So their first four picks all geared toward offense. 
And so this is all on Kirk Cousins. And if the Vikings offense isn't good in 2019, I mean, it's going to be a disaster there. Yeah. Uh, second round. Who's your, uh, who's your, actually, I'll just go ahead and, uh, whatever you, you, you had to go, Sean. We'll keep the same order. Who you got in the second round? Uh, I'm sticking with the Jags and I'm saying Jawan Taylor because look, I think he was the guy that people thought they would take at number seven. Um, and so first in the first round, they get a steal and Josh Allen, a guy who wasn't supposed to be there at seven. And then the guy they were supposed to take at seven based off all every single mock draft is somehow sitting there at number 35. And look, there might be, there's obviously a reason why he fell. Back in um, the medical injuries, issues, yeah, right? supposedly. So, look, there's some um, – every pick has risk, but if you're getting a guy who you were supposed to take at number seven and you get him by at 35, again, I just think based off just pre-draft evaluations, that's just in- incredible value, and it fills a need for them as well. I agree completely. Uh, Breach, who do you like? Uh, I like uh, – I'm going to stick in the division. Uh-oh. And go to the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, oh they just you, you did just, I steal your the guy you like. I don't know. They, but they, they, they had multiple they had a couple round second round picks. So I'm gonna add some drama here. Dun. My favorite pick of the second round dun, dun, was dun, 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 Paris Campbell. Damn it, that was mine. All right, sorry, Brenton. You go ahead. So, keep going. I'll find another one. Here's the thing about the Colts is that I know you know going. It's it's amazing where they are right now because going into 2018, none of us even knew if Andrew Luck could throw a football. All of a sudden, he's leading them to the playoffs, and it was all luck because he's the guy that makes everything go around. So it's like, why not surround him with as many weapons as possible? I mean, we saw what Eric Ebron did when they added him. They already have T.Y. Hilton, and signing Devin Funches, which I didn't love when it happened. Now I love it because he could even be the third target. He could be open all day because you had a speedy guy like Paris Hilton or <laughs> Paris Campbell. That's the Ryan uh, Wilson the, special, but they also the, drafted. The Colts shouldn't have sent that tweet out because now it's just stuck in my head. I know. Ryan done it 9,000 times. All weekend long on <laughs> HQ, he's like, Paris Hilton is it? And they're like, what are you doing? Come on, you're a draft expert. But yeah, so I just love the idea of giving Andrew Luck more weapons. He knows how to take advantage of him. Like T.Y. Hilton might be the best receiver, but Luck doesn't really play favorites. He just gets the ball to whoever's open. And, and so this is just – the Colts offense was already fun to watch. And now it is just going to go through the roof. They're going to be might be as fun as the Chiefs' offense was last year. They're going to be really hard to stop. Uh, I think you could make a case that McCall Mecole Hardman out of Georgia to the Chiefs at fifty six is one of the most interesting ones. I think I would like Paris Campbell there too. Um, I, I can't get I can't get enthused about anything if it requires him to replace Tyreek Hill though. That the whole situation bothers me, so I'm not going to pick that one. But I do think it's an interesting pick. Um, I don't I don't mind Drew Locke where where uh, John Elway got him. You know, instead of instead of giving up the tenth overall pick for Drew Locke, he got him at forty-two. I think that's on the list. I think uh, Greedy Williams is on the list as well at forty-six for the Browns. Their first pick, you got Odell Beckham and Greedy Williams with your, uh, your your first two picks in the draft. That's not bad. But my choice, I'm going to go in a different direction. You guys would never expect me to go. And I'm going to say the Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> Just kidding. Everybody expected that. Nasir Adderley, safety out of Delaware. We talked about him a bunch on this podcast, and. um they got Jerry Tillery in the first round. Adderley um, is a guy who can lay a little bit of wood, good coverage skills, and he's going to be back there with Derwin James in the backfield. They can also use Adrian Phillips and play a bunch of three safety situations. You get Jerry Tillery and you put him on the line. You got Justin Jones, Brandon Meebane, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, and then you got you know Denzel Perryman at linebacker. They added Thomas Davis. I know he slowed down a little bit, but he is a leader. He can still make some plays. And then your secondary. 
is, uh, is, is, uh, you know, Casey Hayward and all those safeties. This is a really, really good Chargers defense. And I think this Chargers team is, um, uh, is, uh, is starting to have the look uh, of a team that could, I don't know, look at the Chiefs lose Tyreek Hill. Are the Chargers the best team in the division? I think they are. I was about to say, you, maybe the second best team in the entire AFC. Second best team in the NFL? They're loaded. I don't, man. I don't know if I go that far. They're really good. Who's better? In the NFL? Are the Patriots well, I was definitely... say second best in the a- AFC behind the Patriots? I mean, are the Patriots really that? I mean, I mean, we always say, are they really that good? And then they win the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I'm just going to assume as long as Belichick and Brady are there that they are that good. Hunter Henry, but, yeah. I mean, uh, definitely the Chargers are awesome. You hit every they on the head with their defense, their offense. It hasn't really uh, lost anything except for the receiver they lost to the Raiders. But Tyrell not a Williams, big deal. yeah. But I mean, they they, so, still, they still have Travis Benjamin, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. They should be getting Hunter Henry back. The offensive line is is, is still pretty good, and they picked up Trey Pipkins. In the, uh, in the third round of the draft, so that's exciting. Uh, round three, Sean, who you got? I've got Zach Allen going to the Cardinals with the first pick in the third round. Uh, look, when we Surprised were... you didn't go with the Jags again, Homer. I know. Well, it's weird that the two teams that I thought did really well in this draft were the Bills and the Jaguars, two teams I feel like I usually kill. <laughs> um, if only they had quarterbacks. That's a different story. Anyways, Zach <laughs> Allen to the Cardinals. Look, w- before we knew what the Cardinals were going to do with Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen... We were looking at two different outcomes, and the first one was you go quarterback with the first pick, um, and the other outcome is you go defensive end most likely uh, with the first with the first pick. And so they went quarterback, obviously, and so that means that they still had a need um, on the edge because look, Chandler Jones is really good, but if they're, Terrell Suggs, it's a fine signing, but he's at the end of his career and expecting him, you know, to be there for multiple seasons is probably expecting the impossible or it's just being slightly unrealistic. And so to be able to get a guy like Zach Allen, who, I mean, at some point in the draft process, he was being talked about as a guy in that late first round, I feel like. And, yeah, for sure. And so to be able to get that guy in the third round, you get your quarterback, you get receivers for your quarterback, and then you're still able to address your biggest need on defense um, again, I just, I keep talking about value because this is a guy who was supposed to go a lot higher and somehow fell to them at the beginning of the third round and also, um, gives them, gets them some youth on the edge in a position where they're really lacking youth, even if they have talented players there already. It, um, it's a little weird because I wanted, I wanted to root against the Cardinals and their, and their draft. Like I didn't want the card. I wanted the Cardinals to have a bad draft to be able to dogpile on them for the way they handled Josh Rosen. Um, and, and like, I'm, 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 pro, I'm usually pro Cardinals, obviously. And pro, like, I, I think Steve Kimes did a pretty good job and, but he certainly hadn't had a great last year. He crushed this draft. He crushed this draft. And, uh, it's, it's hard not to like it. John, who you got a third rounder? Uh, I do not have a Cardinals player. Oh, I was like, sorry. I thought you'd be like, I don't have a third rounder. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, no, I do have a favorite in the third round. My favorite was Ja'Kai Polite. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, obviously everyone heard his name everywhere late February at the Combine, had possibly the worst Combine in the history of the Combine. But here's the thing I'll say about that. Can you guys name one person that had a bad Combine prior to 2019? No, that's uh, the answer I wanted was silence because the thing is no one remembers who had a bad Combine. It's a thing you remember that year. It might hurt you a little bit. In the, oh, Sean, Chris. it took us some time to think and maybe some Googling here, but we have some answers. No, just Reuben Foster, he got in a – he uh, yeah, got yeah. in some sort of argument. Chris Jones had his penis fall out. Uh, so. <laughs> that's, 
I, I got I got to blog that one. I remember you <laughs> and, did. And that was the, the most read story of 2018. The breach is <laughs> no, furious. Up he, there. Breach, <laughs> breach, breach owned the combine junk beat. <laughs> it would have been the number one red story if Breach had written my headline for me. That's right. Now here's the thing. So Look, you have Colin. Jakai Pawai. No, I'm not going to go down this road of making up headlines. <laughs> Look, so, you won't believe. Yeah, no, right. you, <laughs> you won't believe what fell out of Chris Chris Jones' pants in the Galvai. Okay. Sean, you should have sent me a, a ping. Should have sent me a message. We could I'm have worked together. Right. We could have structured okay. something. Um, but look, no matter what happened to the combine, he had a huge year at Florida. Senior year, or what? He had eleven sacks. He was a huge passing rush. You're trying to get to guys like Tom Brady in the AFC East. You, you got to get to the quarterback. That's how you beat the Patriots. So bringing in somebody in like Ja'Kai Polite was the smart move. And he fell into the Jets' lap because if he doesn't have that combine, I think he was projected to go maybe late first round, some definitely in the second round. So for him to fall all the way to the third round, now it's like if even if he is bad, maybe he has some character issues and, and takes plays off eventually in New York. But he's not a bust if that happens in the third round. If they had taken him in the first round and all that happens – He's a bust. You look dumb. So now you have this super talented guy. And if that talent carries over at all, uh, that's just a fantastic pick in the third round, which is why I like it. And ignore the combine unless Sean is waiting for a, a junk joke. Unless junk falls in your lap. Um, okay. Moving along to my pick for the third round. I, I had a couple I wrote down here. I like the Jalen Ferguson pick. He's a guy that was uh, discussed as a potential first rounder. Uh, I like Daryl Henderson to the uh, the human first down out of Memphis. He's explosive. I like him to the to the Rams, but I don't like it because it might mean bad things for Todd Gurley. I think there's certainly some some buzz still about that. I'll say Jace Sternberger, tight end out of Texas A and M. We we were under the impression that the Patriots wanted to get one of the Iowa tight ends and that they would potentially even trade up or hope one fell to them. And if not, their fallback plan would be Sternberger out of A&M. And instead it was the Packers fallback plan. They went Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. I didn't like them passing up on the two stud Iowa tight ends, but if you're going to get good defensive players and not take those tight ends and then circle back later and, uh, and take Sternberger in the third round, I like that move because I don't think Jimmy Graham has it anymore. Um, Still be a bit of a red zone threat. He can jump a little bit higher than everybody else, but he's just not a dynamic tight end at this point. And so to add another weapon for Aaron Rodgers, I thought was very important. If Sternberger develops, they could have a nice player out of A&M. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And wait, let me note real quick. Sternberger went with pick 75, two spots of where the Patriots were picking next. Great call. The Patriots are in a, the Patriots. Patriots live in everyone's head during the draft. It's like we got to get ahead of the Patriots for this guy and build. <laughs> and it's guy. like every single person, yeah. every like possible quarterback, yeah. and yeah. And Belichick's like that guy's not on my board, man. <laughs> like, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't even know his name until you drafted him. Sternberger. You think I'm drafting a guy named Sternberger? Um, okay, we're gonna take a quick break. Oh my god, we're running way too long. We're gonna take a quick break, and we come back. We'll talk Game of Thrones. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, Game of Thrones time. What an episode. The Siege of Winterfell. Again, if you haven't watched it, if you don't want to hear Game of Thrones stuff, go away. Or just, you know, stop listening. And if you Come ha- back tomorrow. And if you don't want spoilers, please stop listening. We will spoil everything for you. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Because this is a big spoiler one, Sean. I'll let you have the floor first. I've been kind of itching to find out. I like these, uh, I like these little podcast sessions because it lets me sort of hash out my thoughts on the episode. Like, I, I really would do wish we had a separate Game of Thrones podcast because I'd like to talk about it for like, like I've been texting with my friends back and forth about it, like everybody else in the country. I got some theories, but what's your thought on, uh, what was a bloody battle, the siege of Winterfell and your girl, Arya Stark saving the world? Yeah. So. I was a little bit surprised when I logged on to Twitter after, and there were people calling it the best hour of TV ever. Nah. And, yeah, and I, I was like, the hour of TV on Sunday night a week ago was better than this one. I, I liked it. However, I thought a lot of the battle was kind of forgettable. And they did a – look, they did a good job in the sense that they're trying to put us in, like, in the battle. So it's supposed to be muddled. It's supposed to be hard to see. It's supposed to be a lot of bodies everywhere because that's what the characters are experiencing. Uh, but at a certain point, you know, watching Brienne and Jamie and Podrick fighting, it kind of loses its luster, especially when you kind of figure out partway through the episode that they're probably not going to die because they keep on surviving these hordes of bodies. Yeah. That being said, while I didn't enjoy the, that aspect, I didn't dislike it, but it's not really why I watch Game of Thrones is for like bad lighting and fighting. <laughs> I thought the wait real the, quick on that note that w- it was a smart idea on paper. Hey, let's do this. Like someone might make a great war epic and a mo- but usually that's in a movie theater where it's pitch black and the movie company controls all the coloring and you're gonna get a great picture at home. Mm-hmm. Everybody's TVs are different. Who knows if lights are on in your house? So it, yeah, it was. I know imagine, what they're trying to do, but it was trouble. There's probably I, people who watch like on their tablet or something. Like imagine right. trying to watch that on like a little 15 inch screen or something. I mean, I had to pause it. I was I was like, this is a disaster. I had to pause and reset the brightness on my television. Well, and it got to the up. point where it's like someone's like, did this character live? And I was like, honestly, like I saw Sam Lang there, like, I, but I couldn't, you know. Okay, so that good. That's I'm glad, well, I mean, I'm glad I, that like I mean. I'm not glad that everybody else feels that way, but it was, it was confusing. Like you didn't, and I think I've yeah, read, yeah. I've read that it was like, hard to follow. I, but I've, I've read that something else too, to similar to what you're saying. Like they wanted you to feel like you're in the battle, but they also wanted you to feel like you don't know who, like maybe you don't know what's going on, but I don't want that. 
I want to know who's living and who's dying in the battle because I'm trying to follow the battle. Like, I get it. You guys who created the show or, or created the episode, like, can figure it out because you're removed. I, I can't. So don't do that. So that said, I didn't like the big battle sets and all that. But I thought, and I know this is very on brand or whatever, you're going to roll your eyes. Whenever they cut away to, like, the Arya stuff, and I'm not just talking about the end. I thought that was the best part of the episode. Yes, the, I agree with that. So it starts with her, just as it set the stage, I don't know if I said it on this podcast last week before I just was saying it on Twitter, but I didn't think Arya was going to die because I because I remembered back in season three, she was supposed to meet with Melisandre, the red woman, at some point. That was they, they had to meet again because she said that. And so 10 minutes into the episode, they make she shows up, she makes eye contact with Arya. I was like, um, hell yeah <laughs> I, no, I was like freaking out because I was like they definitely uh... were lingering the eye contact and that was their way of saying yeah that's right they just reunited like her death is on the table and then that entire library sequence where she is sneaking around I thought was the best part of the episode mm. I thought it that was, was the most was... tense part of the episode Yeah, and the way they ended it with her escaping and stabbing a dead woman around the corner the way they filmed it i went back i thought she, i thought it. she died yes. i thought it, she died i was like no no you killed Arya!" as soon as you hear the knife and they do it to an angle looking at Arya's face it, and, her, and it kind of jerks up a bit and it makes it seem like she got killed yeah so so the fact that they played around with Arya's life like that i thought was really good and i thought her interaction with melisandre later then um was also incredibly good so there were aspects of, of the episode i did not like but i thought and this season has been a home run for Arya's character, and they've really treated that really perfectly. Yeah, that's I, I agree with that. I think um, can I, I? I got a couple beefs I just want to express here because I mean, look, I, I I feel bad because it's like the third straight week where I'm sort of nitpicking certain stuff, but I feel like the I don't feel like they're I feel like they're losing a little bit some of the character arcs the further away they get from the the the, the George R. R. Martin books. I feel like they. Um, the biggest problem is that that when you would have a battle scene or any sort of fight scene or it, like George R. R. Martin was a detailed maniac and like everything was buttoned up and tightened and it was within the construct of this world he had created and there wasn't anything that felt weird and, and mispaced or misplaced. And now we have people moving all over the world at, at, at accelerated rates. Um, and then you have something the, the biggest, my biggest beef, and I, I could not get over it during the episode, was how crappy the battle plan was by the people in Winterfell, and I felt like it was designed for cinematographical purposes. Like Melisandre shows up and lights everyone's swords, the Dothraki swords, and then there's like, hell yeah, let's go, let's charge into the darkness without seeing what our enemy looks like, and, and like it was an incredible scene, seeing the, the the flames of the swords flicker out and the realization that the dead people are coming and that they're going to destroy everybody, but. It's idiotic to send the Dothraki straight into the dark like that. No one would ever do that. That is a stupid battle plan. Uh, additionally, um, if the dead are going to take down the Dothraki in one big swoop, they're probably taking Winterfell too. And so, yeah. real, real quick, I I agree that the battle plans are bad and they have been bad. This isn't the first time. Jon Snow, they despite took, all of his, they didn't like, want to supposed- use the dragons. They didn't want to use the effing dragons. What are you- Jon Snow has been a terrible in terms of battle plan. Commanding, I will say this real quick, and I'll let Breach get in. I the Dothraki thing, I understand. It's not a good look. That said, this is my defense of the Dothraki plan: is we've never, they're not the kind of army unit that is going to sit there and stand there and defend. Like 
they always talk about you never want to face Dothraki in an open field. Yeah. So I actually think using them as the primary source of attack was smart because that's playing to their strengths. They are, you know, an RB force that is supposed to charge and supposed to come at you. And I think with the dragons, Brinson, talking about, like, why not use them at the beginning, at the very, very beginning, I think is what you were kind of alluding to. Yeah, perch them on, the, if, perch them on the castle of the wall of Winterfell and let them fire flame blasters when the dead try and climb up. But then you do that, they're just sitting targets for the Night King who would throw one of his ice daggers, and then you're down all your dragons instead of just one. And I do think that they didn't want to risk losing a dragon right away, but then once uh, Daenerys saw that, Everyone was being slaughtered in Winterfell. It's like, we got to do something now, or this seems to be over in like five minutes. So they eventually came to their senses. But I do think you do not use the drags. You don't put your best foot forward. You don't, you don't put your, or maybe you do put your best foot forward, but you don't play all your hand, your entire hand er, that early in the fight. Well, just for, like I was reading on Wired.com, there's actually like a military strategist who broke down the tactical stuff, and it's actually kind of interesting. But he's like, a really good Twitter follow, by the way. Oh, he yeah. does it for like he does it for Star Wars too. When oh, that's movies come out. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, I'll, what's his Twitter handle? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. Okay, I'll, keep we'll talking. Find it. Um, yeah. yeah. So the uh, but the. The Dothraki thing he pointed out was kind of questionable, and I, I get what you're saying, Sean. That doesn't. Th- but then they had the Unsullied there too, and then I believe they had the the like the the catapult stuff where they launched the flaming balls that you know you can take out literally tens, if not hundreds, of dead people in each shot because not just the flame, but the, the weight of that. They had those in front of the flame barriers, and then they waited until the dead people got there to light the flame. But they weren't trying to kill anybody with the flame, the flame moats. They were just trying to keep them out. You should have built five different levels of flame moats and set that up and light the flame. It was a great concept, but it should have been lit before the dead people come and you should have been behind it blasting stuff. Let the dead people come. You have the castle. And I get you want to get in the open field. You want to attack, but let the dead people come in and see what your opponent is before you ever attack. Uh, additionally, I found it um, the Arya scene it's very which, actually, which one well hold on, hold on. Yeah, first the battle scenes in the in the castle after we figured out where this is going with the night king landing and coming into town it's like like come on samwell's like rolling around like a body of dead people like stabbing at like various things and somehow not being killed um jamie and brianne are their backs against the wall like it's like all of a sudden there's just three dead people to deal with it, it, it felt very weird the way that they slanted it down um and, and then Arya. I understand that she is trained for years to become a silent assassin, but the speed at which she got from Melisandre and the, I think it's the library tower that she's in, uh, out to, and I know she grew up there. She understands the lay of the land. The, the speed with which she got from Melisandre to the Night King and the Night King standing there with zero protection around him after having spent 4,000 years planning and plotting the destruction of mankind. And while she's traveling there, there would have been Hundreds of white walkers to deal with. Thousands of dead people. Thousands of whites. And then 12 white walkers standing there. That, that I found to be a little frustrating. It's a deuce ex machina thing. I get it. It's a typical literary crutch, movie crutch. It was a little frustrating. I'm not mad about Arya doing it. I'm just mad about... It felt a lot like to me when Jamie fell in the... It was like drowning and floating away. And then all of a sudden he's in a, he's in a pond. I would have liked to have seen her actually get there and like see the killing from her perspective. And part of the problem is that the show, it seems like the last few seasons has been so it's almost, and I'm not the first to point this out. It's been pointed out by a lot of people, but they almost, they work backwards now. They don't have the books anymore. So now they look at, it seems like we want this to happen. What can happen to make sure this happens? And by doing that, they have things that are happened with characters 
acting in inconsistent ways or bad battle plans because they want something that they want to cert- to achieve a certain outcome. That said, I went back and I rewatched the last few minutes of the episode. There actually is a really long time between when we last see Arya and when she kills the Night King. Like okay. it's actually a long time. And it didn't feel that way live. No, no, I agree. Yeah. So I went back I, and I re-watched. honestly was wondering, I was like, where is Arya? So I actually felt the reverse, Prince. And I was oh, like, she's a key figure and hasn't been seen in this battle for quite a while. Like, when's she going to pop up next? I was not expecting her to pop up when she did, but I was wondering where her character was. And the one thing I will say is that I was talking about how good the library scene was. And I think why it was just good from the sense of, like, in the moment, it was incredibly well done, incredibly tense. It was, but it was, was also just really good out. because it showed how quickly and quietly she could move and provided a reminder that this is a trained assassin who can walk quieter than the sound of blood hitting the floor because that's what and, ends up getting her caught. And so that plays into the end about how she could sneak up on this big group of, of, of White Walkers looking the other way. And if you rewatch, you can definitely see one of the White Walkers' hair move a split second before, which I believe is them showing Arya running past. Oh, really? Yes. It's uh, okay. a split second before they show a White Walker behind and its hair, his hair visibly moves, and like like wind is going through it, okay. and then our okay. okay. does it. And look, it might it might need to be a thing where I watch it a couple of times, and it's not that it's not as big a deal. And I agree with you though. Like I yeah. think they wanted the shock value of like, oh my god, I did not see this coming, and it would have been far more interesting if you had seen her that scene play out from her perspective and not Brand's. Perspective. Or even or even put on a like a, a mat like a like do the a man with no face thing with a, a white. And be like a right. dead guy who runs through there. Right. Just either way, just show it through her. But they were so concerned about we want the like, oh, my God, moment that everyone got, which they delivered. It was an incredible moment. Yeah. Now, but the flip side of that, and I was absolutely shocked when Arya did that. But I also thought the way the Night King died was kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. Because you have a guy who's been this main villain they've been building up for eight seasons. And then kind of what Brinson said where he's got all these guys who weren't protecting him. He was out by himself in the open, uh, and for that to happen, so, for him to die so fast and so easily just doesn't go along with, I guess, the uh, how they made this well, character. But it's but it's ironic because like usually we do have these like Ned Stark is yanked away from us. And we're like, what? You can't kill Ned. But it's like because it was the Night King. It, it, because it was a bad guy, it felt like they just snuffed out that storyline too fast. And my frustration too, Breach, is that I, I mean, I really wanted to know about the mythology and the, and the mysterious nature. Of, I mean, maybe we'll f- find out more, but I wanted to know like his motivation. And I, I guess just killing off the whole human race. But I sort of, I, I, I needed to know about. I, I don't. I wanted answers, and I thought when he well, confronted Brand, Brandon, we would get some of those answers, and, and we just didn't. Yeah, but I think the show. That's biggest fault throughout its run has been the fantasy elements of the show. And I think the show at its best has been about the human characters and they've done such a good job of that. And that's one reason why I'm excited. The night King is dead because now the final three episodes can just be about the human characters. And now the big bad is Cersei, a character you might not like, but you understand her motivations completely. And, in a, you know, in a begrudging way, you respect her, but they've done a bad job with fantasy elements. I mean, you think back the Arya, Faceless Men, House of Black and White. They never really fully explain that. And I think part of it is just, look, George R.R. R. Martin sought to create something that was unadaptable. That was the whole point, is that it could never be made into a show or TV. So now that it is being made into a TV show, I think it is impossible to fully explain this in this format. You would need several more seasons, which is just way too hard to do with actors and contracts. And not to mention, you know, Benioff and Weiss have a bunch of other things they want to do. 
So I, I, I think it's been a fault of the show for a long time, and That's we're point. not going to get those answers on the show. That said, it makes me even more excited to read the books. The, George R. R. Martin finally finishes the them. best, the best seasons and the best moments of Game of Thrones. Who you think? Like, I mean, maybe with the exception of Hardhome. Like, I think Hardhome, you know, when he raises his arms and he brings up the army of the dead, it's just so terrifying. And that was like the first experience with those dead guys. That was a great fight scene. But like Battle of the Bastards, Blackwater. You know, these are all fights, even if there's – like, you know, the wildfire is a, a, a fantasy element, so to speak, but it's really just dynamite, um, bright green liquid dynamite. Uh, most of this stuff is human-on-human human war. Well, and that's the thing is as much as I thought the Night King dying was anticlimactic, I agree with a lot of what Sean just said, where Cersei is like a fantastically well-written, perfect villain. I mean this is like the ultimate sure. villain. She She's very human. You – understand how she thinks but you really don't empathize with her because she's just so crazy uh so it is awesome that she's gonna be the key person going on over the last three episodes but here's the other thing about the night king is that that happened so fast that i'm not convinced that thread is tied up that 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 is the end maybe it's something and i know there were a lot of theories out there before last night that bran is the night king i could see something where uh game of thrones ends with everything becoming full circle with Maybe Brand not dying, but being raised up as the first new white or something like that, where you can start over from scratch because we know how the White King started or the Night King started four thousand years ago. Uh, and another thing about this episode that blew my mind, uh, and just watching it kind of again, I watched it about half again, was the idea that Barrick had been brought back from the dead so many times, and it really didn't make sense as you were going. You were like, "Why does this guy? Why was he picked?" To do that, and then all of a sudden, his whole entire existence was so he could save Arya and dies. And then Melisandre, the only reason her existence was to make sure Arya could also. So, like, the fact that we had things, and Sean mentioned Melisandre meeting Arya in season three, uh, the fact that that has all been coming together like this. And you had two characters whose sole purpose in life was to make sure Arya was able to kill the Night King and that they built that up over eight seasons. And now when you look back on it, it's like, holy crap, they tied all this together. I thought that was the most fascinating part of the episode. And, and, and even, well, even Barry and he died like seven times while he was like in that hallway. Right. Like, he right. kept dying and he just kept, he's like, huh? And he kept like getting back up and having to fight. There him. was a very like yeah. Christ-like image too of him in the doorway with his right. arms out right mm. towards the end. And, I want to take what John was saying a step further, and I'm, I'm taking this from someone on Reddit on the A Song this, of Ice and Fire is this subreddit. Green, is this Green Eyes? No, 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 no. This is, is that, that's it's obvious. Not just, it's well, hold on, not before, just, before you go very quickly, it's obvious, right, that everybody, like, she told, Melisandre told Arya, you had brown, you're going to kill people with brown eyes, green eyes, and white eyes, and blue eyes, and, and shut them forever. Cersei has green eyes. And, and she told him that in season three. Yeah. She so told her that in season three. So, so, but to get back to the religious elements of the show, it wasn't just the, um, like the red woman in, in the Lord of Light that contributed to this. Someone on, on the Reddit, uh, pointed out that every single faction, religious faction that we've seen in this show played a role in this. So you have, mm-hmm. um, the many faced God, which basically trained and produced Arya to the assassin that she is today to the point where she could do that. Um, you have the Lord Light reviving Beric. You guys remember Sandor Kuglain, the Hound, should have died, but it was um, the Seven, a priest of the Seven, who saved him, and the Hound came back to save Arya. Um, and you have the Drowned God via Theon, um, who protects Bran and basically buys enough time for Arya to get there. 
Um, and then you have the old gods, which is basically Brand the Three-Eyed Riven, giving Arya the dagger. So you have every religious element in the show playing a role to produce this moment. I like it. Um, I would say, too, that uh, uh, Bran, again, with the tactical stuff, like, I don't want to beat on it, but, like, you have this guy who is a three-eyed raven, and I understand he can't see the future, he can't see the past, and he is omniscient. He can see everything that's going on, and he spent the entire, one, to, to I get, you putting him out there by the tree, and you're luring the Night King, great. Maybe have a little more firepower out there with you other than just Theon. And two, are you kidding me? This battle is going on and you're going to spend it flying around like the joyride of the raven up in the sky while you're working? What is happening here? Being able to see everything all at once that's happening in the present is the ultimate battle of like that's the ultimate battle weapon to be able to see where everybody is and Bran's just like flying around as a raven. <laughs> also, just wasted a good chance for him to like warg into a cool animal like a wolf and to actually have him do something in the battle. You know what I mean? Like participate in it. Yeah. But that warging obviously meant something. Like they were laying the groundwork. He didn't no, he, just randomly war no, he, the entire battle. No, he tricked, he tricked, he was luring the Night King because he flew, he warded into the ravens and flew by the Night King and the Night King made some motion with his hand. Yeah. And he was like, all right, I know he's here. I'm going to go find him. Um, just really quickly, small tangent. Uh, my friends and I were discussing on a text thread, like, this superpower that's working is the greatest thing on the planet. I mean, like, my wife's going to come home in a little bit. She's like, we need to talk about uh, this. I'm be like, I wish I – hold on. Let me check. I just got to check on something. Warg. <laughs> just warg out. Like, we're like the, your boss calls you. He's like, hey, uh, I just need to check up on this uh, project that you're working on. Like, oh, yeah, one second, buddy. Uh, warg. And you just warg out and just peace out on everything. It's a, It's the greatest superpower ever. Uh, but, I don't know about ever. Well, not ever, but it'd be very handy in day-to-day life. Uh, but Brand, Brandon, very annoying, um, didn't say anything like to the Night King. Like, what'd you I was to- kind of looking forward to, I that thought, conversation. For second, there was going to be something. And it, I like, maybe I was like, maybe there's going to be some sort of reveal that he's working with, you know, working with the Night King or something. Like, I was like, I don't know if it's, it wasn't going to be as simple as him just killing Brand. So I was kind of looking forward to that before. Arya rushed in, but I think the outcome was still desirable. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, EK. Eric K. Or had, boss, yeah. Eric K., yes. A podcast. Fan, appeared on the podcast this week. Had a fantastic tweet that was laughing that, that he was hoping for the Scooby-Doo ending where the Night King <laughs> takes off his mask and he's old Bran. And, and so, you know, obviously the Scooby-Doo part wouldn't happen in Game of Thrones, but if that had happened, I mean, everybody's mind would have been blown and it was just one of those things where maybe Bran didn't know what was going to happen in the future because he was the Night King, and the Night King died, so that's why he doesn't know uh, anything past just I almost all want, insane. I almost, there was a lot of ways that could have gone, and and it you know went the way it did. I I, I almost I think now that you mentioned this fantasy stuff, Sean, I do kind of think that Weiss and uh, Deboff, who I'm just going to keep calling that Benioff, Benioff, whatever Weiss and Deboff, I think that they, I think part and parcel of their problem with this fantasy, like. I think they know they had to have this big fight and that they knew this big fight would be awesome, huge, crazy TV and do incredible ratings and, and, and have people talking about it for, for days. But I do wonder if they weren't like, all right, let's get back, like, let's get rid of this Night King storyline because we don't know how the hell it ends. But like what to do with this guy because George R.R. R. Martin created it and he, he left his The Night try. King isn't even in the books. It's a show creation. It is? Yeah. Wait, what? I mean, so much of the 
books, like there's completely storylines either the show invented or the show is cut out completely, like characters they've cut out. So they created uh, the Night King, and they don't. Yeah, know, and they, and well, I mean, just, like it, he could still show up in the books. You know what I mean? They're just so far ahead of the books, but there's no Night King in the books to this point. Whoa! So what's the what's, <laughs> what's the what's the problem to the north? What's the? T- it's still the White Walkers, but like there's uh, no. Uh, like, okay, okay, but there, okay, okay. All right, so there's White there's Walkers, still White Walkers, but there's no like chief villain. Okay. Like, they felt like they needed a singular leader. Very TVified. Yeah. Which yeah. I understand too. But. Sure. Yeah. It'd be weird to understand why you have to fight. And, and like, it just was weird to have the dead fight the living. And there was really a minimal amount of impact made by the white walkers and the, the night King. Like in, in terms of like, we really not going to get a Jon Snow white Walker sword fight. Come on. Like, this That's what I actually thought we would get at some point was him against the night King. Um, when he was chasing after him, I thought it was really cool how he raised the dead. Um, but I was kind of looking forward to that sword fight between the two of them. Little arrogant by the Night King to just walk away, as if the and, and then and then Jon Snow's like surrounded by ten thousand dead guys. He's hacking them down one at a time and just not losing somehow. And the, oh my god, see the the, the, the dragon. You are a complainer about the show. That's what I've. That's what I've realized. Well, I did, no, I, there's problems with it. But I, I don't think he's a complainer. I just think that season eight's been underwhelming so far. I, and oh, I disagree. I think it's better than seven by far. I don't need all the the craziness that ever. Well, seven was also underwhelming. Season seven and season eight that's are not a good comparison. Are not buttoned up the way season one through six were buttoned up, and that's that's my problem. It's like all of a sudden you, they're just kind of playing fast and loose with it. Like the okay, the ice the ice zombie dragon. I don't know if you noticed, but he blew through the freaking wall of the north, and he can't blow through the rock that's next to the, in front of Jon Snow. Like Jon Snow's like hiding behind a rock, and it's not doing anything. What, what the hell? Like, come on. Answer that, Sean. Look, man. There's What's plot the holes. There's it? just like there's plot holes and everything. This is why I don't like battles that much because there's always some plot hole about how characters keep surviving over and over again, and. You know what I mean? Arya should have died at some point, and the hound just happens to be there. You know what I mean? This is why the battle parts of the show are, like, not what I look forward to. And everyone was super hyped for this episode, and okay, I was well, like, here's it's a key probably going to be my least favorite of the season. Here's a key question for you, Sean. Do you think Arya is pregnant? I have no idea. I think so. Uh, all right, let's get out of here. It's been long. But what, any, We're going to do one more real quick. Yeah, what you I, know, I was going to say, any parting thoughts? Yes. The uh, Tyrion and Sansa had a brief conversation about their marriage, and Sansa was like, "It's it, it never would have worked." And Tyrion was like, "Why?" I wonder if them bringing up the marriage, if at mm. some point we could see another coming together between Tyrion and the Starks, and if that could actually be via marriage or something like that. Because I think Sansa would be much more open to it now, now that she's much more adverse to playing. Uh, much more willing to play the political game, and she knows that Tyrion's not actually a bad person. Um, and I could see Tyrion souring on Daenerys. I think he could definitely, if there is an outright conflict, which is going to happen between the Starks and Daenerys, I think if Daenerys starts behaving irrationally, he could potentially flip sides. And he already likes Jon um, a lot, so I just think them bringing that up could be hinting at something maybe could happen. And Again, that's a bold prediction. Who knows? But no, I like it. Uh, three episodes left to Game of Thrones, man. Oh my God, I'm gonna be gone next week. Ah! Yeah, you didn't think that one through. Your little vacation. 
You can't take vacation during Game of Thrones season. You gotta wait till the off season. You're gonna have to find a bar at Disney World that's having a watch party. You don't think that's miserable? Brinson, you need to put on Mickey ears and watch Game of Thrones at a bar while wearing Mickey ears, and you need to put that on Facebook Live so we can watch you watching Game of Thrones. Don't you think there's definitely like a flat screen? Could be a nice flat screen TV in my hotel room at Disney World. I was gonna say, no, they don't watch you in your room. That whole place is designed to not have you in your room. There will be a TV in your room. I don't know how nice it'll be. Worst case, you can just watch it on your on your computer. With yeah, headphones. I mean, I'm definitely watching on Monday night. It's people... not going to be a battle episode, so you know this... what I mean. You can well, watch my, your... well, my wife is a big Game of Thrones fan too, so I mean, like, she's going to want to watch it uh, or Sunday night. Oh no, wait, well, no, I'm here Sunday night. I'll be fine. I know it's Monday night. I believe. Well, because I was going to say, Brinson, I episode two, I was out of town, so I didn't get to watch it till Tuesday, and you literally have to avoid oh, social yeah. media. Like, I had to stay off Twitter. Because you do not want the spoiler alerts. They're all out there. They're out there instantly. Everything's there. I had to unhook the internet from my house just so I didn't get any spoiler alerts. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't buy people who are like, how dare you tweet about it? It's like, look, it's Tuesday morning, Monday morning, Monday, Monday morning is fine to tweet about it. If you didn't watch it, like I turned off Twitter alerts on my phone on Sunday night and I, I, yeah, you just, you can't go on social media to talk about the biggest event happening all across the world. And also, and ask Lot, him not to talk season about seven it. happened during the NFL preseason. I don't know if you guys remembered. And every week, one of us would be stuck covering the Sunday night preseason game. So what I did last year is I had to create like new Twitter lists of <laughs> just the teams that were playing and reporters that I knew were literally in the press box. And that's what I had to do. That's, just have like a new Twitter account just for that. That's, that that's was really insane. stressful last year. So I feel bad for people covering the NBA playoffs right now. Yeah. Well, tough luck, man. Got to get a new job. Feel bad for you writing about sports. Real rough life out there. All right. Let's get out of here. Awesome podcast, guys. This is really long, but that's fine. That was a good, good Thrones talk. Great Thrones talk. We'll, uh, we'll be back tomorrow for some more uh, NFL draft recap, hash out. And R.J. White's going to come on here. We'll get Ryan Wilson to do his 2020 mock draft at some point. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks, fellas.